Brook. I think I was here 20 years ago. Anybody remember that? <laughs> you know, I keep a track of where I preach and what I preach. But I didn't start 20 years ago, so I don't remember what I preached. So if it's a repeat from then, I'm sorry, but no, I think that'll be okay. So um, we're Arlie and Janice Lowen, and let's see if we, yeah, there we go. Uh, we're, we do all things Afghanistan for 40 plus years, and thank you to Stony Brook, and there's a coalition of four churches that are bringing three Afghan refugee families to the Steinbeck area. Family of three, they've been approved, we're just waiting, I think, no, no, that's Steinbeck EMC. So that's yet another, no, oh, oh, I'm getting confused. Four families are coming to the Steinbeck area, Afghan Christian refugees. And so one is with Steinbeck EMC, one is with Steinbeck EFC, and then one is with Stony Brook, and then one is with Ridgewood. So one family is a family of nine. So I'm not sure which church will get the nine, and... <laughs> And the others are three or four and so forth. I think Ridgewood is getting the nine. But thank you, Stony Brook, for your part in this project. We've got almost 25 churches that are bringing in about 100 Afghan Christian refugees. Four families have come already, and others are in the pipeline. But today, I won't be talking about Afghans or Afghanistan. I want to focus more on Canada, but it will be an overlap. I don't know if you follow the news about Canada's ambitious plans to bring in 500,000 new people to Canada every year. What do you think of that politically? Almost 25% of people in Canada were not born in Canada. Now, I'd like to do a quick survey. How many of you were not born in Canada? So that is not 25% of so. <laughs> we are not a demographic of the Canadian culture. Now, they come for with different reasons. They are economic class, family reunification, and about 15% are refugees. Can we sustain all this? It's actually a political issue. Is this our workforce? How do you feel about that? Does it make you angry or fearful or excited or indifferent? Well, Steinbeck definitely has changed in, in my lifetime, Blumenort and so forth. You know, we have secularism on one hand that we have to deal with as followers of Jesus. Now we have to deal with all these new religions as well that are coming. Or should we maybe just build walls and you know, that's a big issue of how to handle newcomers coming to Canada, to Steinbeck. So I'd like to look at this phenomenon with the metaphor of two rooms. So on the one side, you've got the home room over there, and then you have the other room. And um, we love the home room. We enjoy being together. And it's not just the family gathering of our relatives, but it's the room of people that have all things in common. Birds of the feather flock together. 
And it's not just a Mennonite thing. It is a universal phenomenon. Tribes stick together with each other. It's safe there. It's peaceful. And that's where you know how to relate. You know what to expect with the other when they talk to you. And we need to do this. We need to be in our homeroom. This morning, we are in our very, very homeroom. But what's in the other room? Over here. We stare at that room. Those are strangers over there. We, we never really get in there, but we don't know what it's like there. And so we begin to nourish some suspicion. Maybe those sounds, those smells, those actions, maybe they could even be dangerous to us. And the reality is that human beings, we fear differences. Now there's some maybe who actually like to live on the edge, but by and large, we like to know what's coming our way. And the quote is here from an anthropologist, the less we have in common with a person, the more likely we are to see their weaknesses instead of their strengths. When someone is different, it creates uncertainty, and uncertainty produces anxiety. So let's just stay in our homeroom. That's where it's nice, easy. But what about those in the other room? What should we do? So we can study them, we can critique them, we can condemn them. Some would romanticize them, they kind of look down on their own and they like the other side and so forth. But we've never stepped into the other room. And we don't know what life is like here in this room. Because it's better over there. And no matter how much we fight that room, that evil culture, we protest it and we condemn them. Unless we offer an alternative, this show will go on of two different rooms. But before we, I want to go back to the two rooms, let's go a little bit into the biblical world, first century world of Roman Judea, when the Roman Empire ruled. And there the people of God especially the leaders of the people of God, how did they relate to the outside world, to the Roman, Romans who were their oppressors and to the nations in general? So they were under the rule of, of Rome, but waiting for the kingdom of God. Where is it? When will it come? What should we do uh, when you know, God is going to judge that nations and restore Israel and set up a just rule? So there are many different answers. To that. You know, the Pharisees, they said, get back to the Torah, the law, the word. Part of the Pharisees were the zealots. They said, we got to actually get an armed resistance against those strange foreigners over there and, and have a revolution. The Essenes, we don't hear much about them in the Bible, but they are there. They call themselves the children of light. So they were there totally separate in the desert community. John the Baptist might have been part of the Essenes, and they looked down on those children of darkness over there. And then the Sadducees, they just said, don't rock the boat. Let's just keep all as it is. And then, of course, the masses, they struggled to survive and long for freedom. And then in the middle of all that, Jesus comes and says, the kingdom of God is here, Zatan. And he preaches the good news. The Sermon on the Mount, this is what Israel should look like. 
And you people are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And uh, Jesus is calling his people, telling them how they are to relate to the world around them. And then after three years of teaching, doing good, serving the poor, he gives his followers, his special 12 people, a commission. And we often talk about the Great Commission in Matthew 28. But in John 17, we have an amazing call for the followers of Jesus. And this is call. We see this in John 17, 14 through 19. I have given them your word. And the world, let's call that the, the, the strange room over there, has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world even as I am not of it. Sanctify or separate them by your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now there's a great study here. Got lots of good key words in here. The word word, the word world, sanctify and sent. And these words sort of work together. And Jesus has given his followers, let's say we are the followers, given us his word, which is truth. I'd like to say that's Jesus himself. And sanctify, he prays to God, sanctify, separate them by the truth, by myself. Your word is the truth. He could have stopped there. But then as you sent me into the world... I have sent them into the world. So this word cleanses, sets them apart, but the world is still there. We can't ignore the world. And we see several relations to, this, to the world. We're, the world, first of all, hates. Then we're in the world, not of the world, not out of the world. All these relationships going on. And we see, in summary, two key truths here. One is to separate or to sanctify, and the other is to be sent. And this probably is the challenge of church throughout history, how to relate to those who are not part of the church. What should we do? So if we don't separate, we become like the world. We compromise, and we lose our saltiness and our light. And so it's perhaps easier to just separate. We're called to that, aren't we? But if we just separate, we don't, have, we don't worry about the world, we ignore the world, and we become irrelevant to the world. And we focus just on ourselves. So what's the solution? Which one should we do? Should we separate, or should we be sent? Well, I think the obvious answer is that we should do both. We should cultivate our separateness. We are separate from the world. This is clear. Come out from them. Be ye separate. But how are we going to do that? So the early Christians were called Christians. They actually, the world called them Christians. Why did they call them Christians? Because those people are like Christ. You know? They're like 
They look like Christ. They act like Christ. And the Paul writes, you're in Christ, or Christ is in you, and all that theology. They were dancing to the beat of another drummer. It wasn't a separate place where they lived. They didn't have colonies. They didn't have separate clothes. But they, the world could see that these people are different. And what was the difference? What was the difference that these people had? You see the picture of the carrots there. What's that related to this part? Well, many, many years ago, my mom uh, had cancer. And that's probably talking 45 years ago. She had read somewhere that carrot juice fights cancer. Is that true? I don't know, but that she had read that. So she bought the juicer. Back then, juicers were still special machines. And she bought carrots, and she had mountains of carrots, and she drank carrot juice. So what happened to uh, my mom? I don't know about the cancer or not, but physically, she changed her color, the color of her skin, the white of the eye, all became, well, not yellow-yellow, but it changed. She drank so much carrot juice. Wow, this would sound dumb. She looks like a carrot. Well, not quite. But shouldn't that be, we are so full of Jesus. We drink Jesus, eat Jesus so much. We look like him. That's our separateness. And in Ephesians 1, 23, and I've got two Tr uh, translations in here. The church, we are the body of Christ. We are filled and complete by Christ. So we're filled by Christ who fills all things with himself. And, and the message says, by which, by the church, by us, he fills everything with his presence. So here's the question. How is God going to fill the world with himself? You know, we talk about the glory of God covering the world, filling the world as the waters cover the sea. How will the nations glorify God? When the people of God filled with the life of Christ live among the people of the world, that's where Jesus is. So our separateness is not geographical, it's Jesus. But at the same time, so I think our separateness compels us then to cultivate our sentness. The words are clear, light and salt, it's, it's there for others. It's not just in our own room, but in all the rooms of the many rooms of the other world. For the Muslims, the Hindus, the Sikhs that are coming here to Steinbeck. Vincent Donovan, a missionary to the Maasai people in uh, Tanzania, Africa, he says, an inward-turned Christianity is a dangerous counterfeit. It's no Christianity at all. Christianity must be a force that moves outward, and a Christian community is basically an existence for others. Do we believe that? Well, it's not the Scriptures, but the, that is the whole meaning of a Christian community. A church that turns in on itself, that just sits in the homeroom, that church will die. So, here is the question. What about that other room? Let's get back to the room phenomenon. How do we relate to those other people and those cultures over there? How do we enter that room? And how uh, would those people come into our room? Well, first of all, let's forget the room metaphor. First of all, 
We are actually all the same. We're all in one room, in one. We're all human beings like everyone else, the Hindu, the Sikh, the Muslim, and the Mennonite, and the Steinbacher. We are all human beings. We enjoy food, and we work, we sleep, we get married, we have children, we celebrate, so forth and so on. We get sad, we get glad. This is the human experience. We are all good people because we're created by God in the image of God, and so therefore we treat each other with dignity. And we're all bad people because we're sinners fallen away from God and we need Jesus. So that's number one. Number two, we're not all the same. Sometimes we talk about the West and the rest. There's actually a book written that, the West and the rest, something like that. Or the global North and the global South. Now, we're going to get really practical now. And we're going to have a class of cultural anthropology, if that's okay with you. If we look at a map of the world, about 75% of all the newcomers coming to Canada are coming from the global South. This statistic, the print is way too small, but the red on the right, and then the green and the purple... That's the Middle East, Asia, Africa, Latin America. Those people, 75% of newcomers are coming from the global south. From the rest of the world, so to speak. Now, what's the rest of the world like? I've colored them, well, the, the map. I've used the map of the red and the blue. And a helpful way to talk about the differences is to talk about hot or cold and hot climate cultures. So the West, Europe and North America, are often described as cold climate cultures. And while the rest of the world is are hot climate cultures. So hot climate cultures, or this, it, the, the metaphor of climate, it doesn't mean so much that we're cold people, cold-hearted people, though sometimes some people might think that. Um, and people from hot cultures, it doesn't always mean that they're hot or whatever, but there's a sort of a metaphor. Part of it has to do with geography, part of it with, with uh, weather and so forth. But it's, uh, this lady, uh, Sarah Lanier, wrote a book, Foreign to Fam- Familiar, very simple, easy to read, 100 pages, short sentences, big print, can whip through it in an hour, helping us understand the other room, the rest of the world. And I want to just share some things about the rest of the world. And generally speaking, people from the global south, the Middle East, Asia, Africa, Latin America, we could say they are people from hot climate or warm climate cultures, which means, look at it, community people, the group people, relational, feel good, flexibility, hospitality, more God-conscious. And then the people from the north, global north there, they focus on the individual, get the job done, speak the facts, exact time, logic and order. They go to restaurants rather than in homes, They're much more secular people and so forth. Now, just one quick caveat here. But the people in the hot cultures, they themselves are not all the same. And that's one of the mistakes we make sometimes. Landon, can we go to the next slide? They're not all the same. We need to be careful. We don't throw all the newcomers into one basket. 
Now, we got the answer there already. What's the difference between these two people? I got too bad I have the answer there right away. But, okay, both wear turbans. Both are from the global south. Both speak a different language. But one is, they're completely different when it comes to religions. The Sikhs, which one is the Sikh? Yeah, the one. So, those people are not Muslims. Maybe that's that's a brain-dead answer, but so often we mix people up just because they wear a turban or just because they're over there. Yesterday at a at a wedding, this lady was talking to me. Yeah, uh, my second cousin, they, uh, he was in Iran. And he went on and on about being in Iran. And I, had, oh, I kept on asking questions and asking questions. And I found out that he was in Oman. Now, Iran, Oman. Iraq, Iran. Bangladesh. Do you like if someone says, hey, you're from Mexico? Canada? I mean, those names are, okay, Iran and Oman, you can actually, maybe there was a mistake. But those, what's the difference between Iran and Oman? One's Arab, one's Persian. Now, Arabic and Persian are more different than English and Persian. English and Persian actually are from the same language, Indo-European language family. Now, it gets, over, gets, it gets convoluted because their orthography, the way they write, is the same, and they have so many Islamic terms in each other's languages and so forth. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that people from different, people in this room over here are in many, many different rooms over here. So they're not all the same, even though I'm going to do some generalizing about the people in these different rooms in this big room. And it may be helpful that we do some geography study. You know, Iran and Iraq are different. We have some Iraqis here in Steinbeck. We have some Syrians here in Steinbeck. And we have some Iranians here in Steinbeck. They don't gel, humanly speaking. They don't speak the same language. They have different religions. Some are Shia Muslims. Some are Sunni Muslims. Some are Christians. And some are secular and so forth. And that's just that little part of the Middle East. Anyway, that's just a little side thing there. But let's get back. How do we get into that other room? Some practical ways to enter the other room and enjoy the other room. Because more and more hot climate people are coming to Steinbeck. And also we'd like them to get into our room. How can they come into our room? I think farmer sausage barbecues won't cut it. It just, I'm sorry, we've got to move on beyond hot dogs and farmer sausage barbecues. So, the first thing, uh, Landon, that's, but it's food. I think the, one of the most practical ways to enter the other room is food. And now this is one of my favorite sermons, this, whole, this one slide. You know, we naturally fear the stranger, which is xenophobia. Phobia, fear, xeno, the stranger. So how do we overcome xenophobia? By loving the stranger. And loving the stranger in Greek is philozenos. Love xenos. And that's the word translated into hospitality. To overcome the fear of the stranger is to bring them into our room 
and eat together or to eat with them. And in traditional cultures, one of the big questions traditional tribes had, what do you do with a person from the other tribe? How do you handle the stranger? One of the ways is to kill him because you don't know what the stranger will do. But if you kill a stranger from the other tribe, what happens when you cross the, the uh, zone into the other tribe? So the best way to handle the stranger is to love the stranger. Welcome them so you know that that's, gonna, that's what you're going to get when you go on the other side. Philo Xenos was seen as the civilized way to relate to outsiders. And you think of the word guest and host, two Latin words, go further back. Guest, what's the low German word for guest? Jast, chas, chas, host. That's actually the same word because we come together and share food together. And that's what Jesus did around the table. And Jesus, table fellowship was one of the big deals in, in, in the first century, the question was not so much what were you going to eat because they basically ate one kind of food, very monolithic. But the big question is who's going to be at the table and where are you going to sit at the table? That was the big question. Jesus allowed sinners to come and he went into the home of sinners to the chagrin of the Pharisees. He didn't reject the Pharisees. He ate with them as well and honored the guest or the host, each other. Just some practical tips. What are some practical tips about food? I won't, I'm just going to read them very quickly. This is what Janice and I, and she, usually when I do the sermon, she comes and she fills this in. She, she has the gift of hospitality. So w- when a person from the global south comes to your house, let's say, you don't play around with, should, should, they have, should I give them tea or not? You just do it automatically don't even ask do you want tea you just serve tea with the cookies and the and the biscuits as well it's just automatic and when you do a meal with a people from global south this is more my our experience from the asian world you use basmati rice and you can get basmati rice here at its superstore which is the rice with the real long grains and lots of meat sauces and different kinds and i already mentioned the pork and stuff the pastas work well for Middle Easterners from our experience, but not sandwich foods. And then why don't sandwich foods work? Uh, tra- traditionally, now it changes as, as the young kids come, they adapt very quickly. But sandwich foods is you bite into it and you put it back in the plate. It's back in the plate, that means it's unclean. And so you just, it, it just, well, traditionally sandwiches haven't worked for us. Simple salads are, are, are always positive. Greens and lemons, desserts don't, Overdo it with cakes and pies, just simple puddings and uh, fruit. Picnics, when you do a picnic with someone from the global south, in our experience, people go all out. They actually dress up. And not the hot dogs and the sandwiches, but kebabs. And you see them in, in the, at least we lived in Toronto for nine years back in the 90s. And you'd have to actually get out there early Sunday morning to get your space. And, be, and you see that also in Cinnamon Park. Usually, People from the global south are fill, fill, fill up the Cinnaboyne Park. They do these things uh, really well. What else do I have here? Restaurants, those are awkward because who's going to pay? They often will want to, they don't understand the going Dutch or think maybe since you have welcomed them here to Canada or whatever, they'd want to do the pay and so forth. So if you take people out to a restaurant, make sure you, you're, you're ahead of the game and uh, you do what 
your dad always did. Uh, Eldon Penner, I don't know if you know, he is famous for paying the bills. Well, we need to learn to do that all the time when we have newcomers. Uh, reciprocity, so when you, let's say if they invite you to their place, you buy a little gift. Janice always takes some candies along for the kids, but make the gift small because when they come to your place, they want to do the same. And so if you make a gift too expensive, you obligate them to do the same. So uh, that's food. So the next thing, food is a great thing. I have another F word here, uh, family. Let's go to the next one. Uh, We engage newcomers by the family. And so people of the global south, they have a high view of the family. The father rules, patriarchy, we could spend a lot of time talking about the sociological issues. Their security is in the family, not in pension plans. And marriage, of course, is, is, is a given. Everybody must get married. You must, uh, your sons must continue your name, so to speak. And gender clarity is a given, especially, I would think, by and large, from the global south. So that's an interesting phenomenon that is actually becoming a political issue here in, in Canada as we're confronted with all kinds of gender confusion and gender myopia. The global south is not playing the game. And so here's an interesting political phenomenon of what's going to happen with Muslims and Hindus and Sikhs and Latinos and people from Africa who are very strong in gender clarity. And I think here is one place where we have a lot of of common with people from the global south. And can we not join them or they join us in celebrating gender clarity and its beauty? How do we reach the family? I think this is the best way. When you meet someone from the global south, ask them about their family. Talk to them about your family. Family talk. Include parents. If they're teenagers, ask them about their parents. If you want to invite a teenager over, make sure that their parents know about it. Include newcomers in your family events and so forth. We can, you know, we believe in family too. We focus on the family. Model the family ideal to the global south who idealize the family. Their families are not necessarily happy families, but they have a high view of the family. And uh, gender issues, uh, greetings and touching. So this is especially in, in the Muslim Hindu Sikh settings. Men greet men and women greet women. And you, uh, no touch across genders. Now, that changes very quickly as they adapt and so forth, but there's often many awkward situations, especially when you start smiling across genders. Because the smile across a gender communicates something that you do not, (laughs) we're not intending to communicate. Uh, The eye-to-eye contact and the smile. Join the East as they honor their elders. It's a beautiful thing that the global South continues to honor the elder. And I believe We, as followers of Jesus, we have focused on the family to the point where we have fixated on the family. We need to be freed from the fixation on the family to see the family as a mission base to reach other families. Quickly, a few more. We engage newcomers, I think, through football, the universal sport, the most basic, just a field and a ball, and there you go, and people, you know, come from all over the world. It's probably uh, the most watched uh, event in world is, is the uh, football uh, finals that was just in Qatar last year and so forth. 
We engage newcomers. Here's a tricky one. Through phonics. I use the F or the PH. Phonics. What do I mean with words? So here we have, next slide, Landon. The direct culture. So we're the direct cultures. We shoot straight. We do not, uh, we mean what, well, we, everybody means what they say, but uh, direct cultures speak to the central issue. Let's get to the point. The indirect cultures, which are more the relational, they will shoot the breeze for an hour or drink tea. And then finally, maybe, maybe you might have to read between the lines. It's a big issue about understanding speech. What's the point of talk? Why do we talk? To, tra to, to transfer facts and information or to uh, build relationships. Here's just a few practical tips, and we'll have to just move forward here. Practical tips of, uh, next slide, Landon, about talk. So I think direct cultures, we need to learn the art of courtesy, how to greet and to continue to greet, and focus on how you say something as much as what we say. Both are important. And... Uh, Here's the thing about invitations. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to connect, especially with Asians. I think it's probably with people from Africa too. So you drop them off at their house at 10 o'clock. And here's another issue. You know, we do not realize how important our vehicles are. And people, newcomers coming, especially the refugees that will not have driver's license and therefore cannot drive, where's the bus they can catch? Are you going to pay taxis? And they feel so um, paralyzed and dependent on the sponsor. And this is an area that I, when I talk to these guys coming, get your driver's license ASAP. But anyway, so you have to drive them around. You drop them off at their house at 9.30, 10 o'clock, and they'll invite you for tea. So what are you going to do? Just go in? And uh, I've seen it just happened uh, recently. So... The Western guy drops off the uh, refugee and he says, come in for tea. And he comes in. And the wife says, why did you invite him in? Well, I just said, come in. What's the point of saying, come in for tea? It doesn't mean come in for tea. Doesn't mean that. It means it would be good to have tea sometime. Obviously, now, learn how to play the invitation. When... <laughs> I've had guys, I know out in BC, there's a bunch of refugees that have come, and then the guy is there in the evening, he hangs around, he's a single guy, and then he has to go and stay the night. And he stays the night. I constantly get that invitation to stay the night. 10 o'clock, I'm in Winnipeg, I got to get home. Stay the night. Are you going to stay the night? How do you play the game? Now, that's maybe specifically with the Iranian and the Afghan and the Pakistani, but Indian, but so forth. How do you handle invites? And you invite them, and they say no. Have you eaten? Yes. Of course, they ate a couple days ago. They ate, sure, we all. But that, that yes does not mean that they just had lunch. So how to under, I still, after 40 years, don't know what the yes and the no mean all the time. And so, and are we, how open do we? How quickly do we share? You know, the American soldier in, in Afghanistan, he would have, a beer in one hand, and a, oh, first he had the cross down his neck, and a beer in one hand, and a picture of his girlfriend on the other hand. And then tomorrow he'd have a picture of another girlfriend. He'd share this with these Afghan translators. What kind of religion and people are these? They share, they show pictures of their girlfriends to us. So how open are we to the newcomer? And they come from a culture where privacy is handled differently than we handle privacy. Anyway, that's a lot of, 
a lot of interesting stuff about relating to other cultures. And uh, I'm working on, a, on, a, on an online curriculum, actually, right now, on learning to relate to all of these different cultures. Last one, and then I'll close. We can enter the other room through faith matters. Faith matters. And this is now in the context of the Muslim. Our experience has been with Muslims. And uh, so next slide, I've got some points here. And each of these would be a full <laughs> sermon in and of themselves. But by and large, Global South people are God-conscious people. Muslims believe in the one God. Hindus, well, gods and God. Right there in Blue Menard, our store owners are Hindus. I can have a God-conscious conversation with them anytime. And it doesn't go very far always. But back to the Muslim, Muslims believe in books. Do you believe in the books? Well, we read from the books today. Which books? Muslims believe in the prophets. Do you believe in the prophets? David, Joseph, and so forth. Muslims believe in prayer. Can we pray with them? Muslims and other, I think all religions of the world have their celebrations, their religious celebrations. And a great opportunity to um, join theirs or even better, to have them join your celebration, whether it's Thanksgiving or Easter or especially Christmas. And then Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Muslims say he's a prophet. Muslims believe in Jesus. The, now, I, I think the Muslims in Steinbeck have probably become quite defensive because there's well-meaning people that are quite aggressive. And what happens? We immediately want to tell the people in the other room that Jesus is God. And the Muslim just shoots back. If Jesus is God, who did he pray to? That means God went to the toilet. That means God died. Where in the Bible does it say Jesus is God? And they have their defenses. How do we explain the deity of Jesus to a stranger in this room who comes from a completely different, non-Trinitarian background? So forth. So I don't jump into that sentence right away. We can talk about the deity of Jesus in many different ways and talk about the stories of Jesus, about the love of Jesus, and of course the sacrifice of Jesus and so forth. Anyway, last slide. I just invite Stony Brook and the Christians of Steinbeck to pray for and seek for ways to enter this room and to learn to get to know these people and, secondly, bring those people into our room. I trust that can happen, not just with the Afghan Christians that are going to come. That's going to be easier. In fact, Janice and me, we have it quite easy because we deal with Afghans, we speak the language, and we deal specifically with Afghan Christians. So they're already on our page. And so we kind of have it easy, and it's just been a real blessing in the last 40-plus years. When we started working with Afghans, there were like five Christians in the whole country. Now we have thousands. And now our job is to help those Christians become fully followers of Jesus and so forth. That's another story. But thanks to Stony Brook, I, we will join with you when this Afghan family comes. We know these families. I've met almost all of them that are coming to Steinbeck. And so we look forward to this family that you will be 
providing hospitality and serving. God bless you. Let's pray, and then I think we'll have this great blessing song, I think. Is that right, Emma? We're going to do the blessing song? Great. Let's pray, and then we want to sing the blessing upon ourselves and the newcomers. Oh, God, we thank you that we can be part of this, the great gospel story. And we thank you. We have this beautiful homeroom of, of the church. And we want to enter this other room and be salt and light here in this room. Help us to do that. Help Stony Brook to do that. And the other churches of Steinbeck as Arabs and Iraqis and Iranians and Afghans and Latinos and Filipinos and so many are coming to Steinbeck. Lord, fill us with your spirit that we might, first of all, receive your blessing and then transfer your blessing to the many newcomers coming to Steinbeck. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.